Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles, 1 John chapter number 4. We are finally in a new chapter, chapter number 4. And if you have been part of our services, you've been part of this, uh, uh, 1 John studies, you would know that we're going verse by verse, word by word, line by line. There's a key stuck. (laughs) That was not choreographed very well into our service this morning. (laughs) I saw some of you have it in your heads. There's like something wasn't right. So none of you heard what I said. First John chapter 4. Ushers come and help me out here this morning. If you did not receive a copy of the notes, uh, please raise your hand. They would love to put a copy of the notes in your hands, and we want you to be a part of the service. I, we're going to have to la- have the ladies sing the song again because they, there was a, a, a note there playing the whole time they were singing that... Uh, uh, I am delighted that you are here. So many folks visiting. Thank you so much. May I just share something that took place this morning at 9 o'clock? So we have our new members uh, class called Starting Point, where you start at our church. And at Starting Point class this morning, we had 14 people in our class this morning. Isn't that amazing? There's a lot of interest in our church, and it's so thrilling to see what God is doing here at our church. And I'm just elated over a completely full class this morning of people checking out our church, interested in our church. So we are going through the book of 1 John. And um, we're going verse by verse and word by word where necessary, line by line. And I trust that this morning as we cross over from chapter 3, there's a, there's a, we get into chapter 4, uh, we're talking about this emphasis here on the word love. Isn't that appropriate at Christmas? Isn't that what we heard about this morning? Throughout the music services, there was one person who loved us more than we could possibly understand, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'd like to preach a message about him this morning, and I've entitled this morning's message, Acceptable Discrimination. Now, discrimination is a bad word in our cultural vocabulary. In fact, our courts are filled with lawsuits based on discrimination. And in a multicultural society, we're taught to be tolerant one of an, one, uh, to one another. And, uh, and to an extent, I believe that that is appropriate. Our, our Constitution even says this, that all men are created equal. In fact, the Bible, which is our, our source, it says this in Acts 10 and verse 34. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God does not show partiality. And we, we're not to discriminate racially or economically or socially or culturally. But there is one area that God has taught us that we are to discriminate. And it is acceptable for us to discriminate in this area. In fact, John teaches us we must discriminate doctrinally. 
We must discriminate doctrinally. And he uses a phrase called try the spirits. And so we must try the spirits. We must learn to discern between the the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And there's six verses that we're going to look at this morning. And uh, and this is perhaps what we would call a, a parenthesis on his discourse about love. You see, love demonstrates our fellowship with God, but love can never be divorced from truth. And therefore, we must discriminate doctrinally. And so let's read this in a responsive format this morning. And as we're reading this, we'll read the first six verses, and you will read the even verses. I'll read the odd verses. So let's begin in verse number one. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, where, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, apart from you, there's absolutely no reason to go through this service. So I ask that thy Holy Spirit will be present, evident, available, comforting, convicting, and Father, guiding. And Father, may each one of us set aside distracting thoughts, things that we need to do, and allow thy Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. In elementary class, they went on a school field trip. They went to the local hospital. During the course of the field trip, one of the students asked, why the doctors and nurses constantly wash their hands? The nurse replied, we wash our hands for two reasons. We love health and we hate germs. Um, You know, when I read that, the Christian who abides in Christ, you know what we've learned from John over these past many months? The Christian who loves the Lord, walks in the Spirit, loves truth, and hates error. And as Christians, the Bible says we're called believers. However, every believer is also called to be an unbeliever when it comes to error. There are some things that we must discriminate against. The Bible not only encourages us to believe, but there's some things that we are not to believe. And just as we cannot inhale and exhale at the same time, we cannot believe truth and error at the same time. You cannot love until you reject hatred. You cannot pursue righteousness until you abandon evil. John Stott has written, unbelief can be as much a mark of spiritual maturity as belief. And so with this in mind, I only have two thoughts this morning in my message. And I would like to examine, first of all, how that it is acceptable to discriminate in this area when we look at the command to test 
the spirits, the command to test the spirits. And in order to do that, I would like to pose three questions. Why is this important to us in this year 2021 here at Tucson Baptist Church? So I'd like to ask the first question, why? Why are we to test the spirits? Why is this important? John is speaking specifically to believers. He even refers to them as beloved. Um, He says that we're to believe not every spirit. But he says we're to try. Uh, We'll use that word test. We're to test them as to whether they are of God. Why is that? Because John eloquently writes that there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And historically, the background of this passage is in that era when the New Testament was actually being completed. In other words, there was no New Testament canon at this time. The apostles were still in that process of of handwriting the inspired books and epistles that make up our understanding today of the New Testament, which creates uh, and helps us understand our Christian faith. God delivered his word to the congregations of believers in part by the verbal word of divinely gifted and inspired prophets. Oh, we can read about many of those powerful gifts that were given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. But here, John specifically warns all of us, all of believers, to believe not every spirit. To try or test the spirits whether they are of God. Because not everyone who claimed to be a prophet was inspired of God. So what, Pastor Arthur, what do you mean specifically? Let me be blunt with you. If someone's shiny, wears a $1,000 suit, he has tens of thousands of followers, surely he must be of God. Well, that's not what determines if someone is following God. When someone wears a $1,000 suit, I don't even know what a $1,000 suit would look like except what I've seen on TV. Someone wears a $1,000 suit, flies in a private jet, has tens of thousands of followers, and yet he sits on CNN and says there are many ways to God. He is a false prophet. Not on Brent Armstrong's authority, on the authority of the Word of God. And so that means there's tens of thousands of people who are blindly following a man who is saying on TV, ah, There are many ways to get to God. Jesus Christ was just a man. May I tell you, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I want you to be reminded that there is a critical reason why we test the spirits. We need to identify false prophets unashamedly because they are damning many people to hell because they're slick, glossy, look the part, And people are blindly following them. So the first question to be asked, why are we to test the spirits? Because false prophets are here today. Question number two, what does it mean to test the spirits? Okay, you said we're to to do that. You've explained why. But what does that mean to test the spirits? May I remind you, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that every believer has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. 
In chapter 3 and verse 24, we learned last week that God, by the Spirit which he hath given us, in chapter 2, John calls the presence of the Spirit, that anointing which ye have received of him. God has given every one of us the indwelling Spirit. But John now points out that there are other false prophets who are running loose in this world. And if we have a Spirit, we ought to try. We ought to test those Spirits. Christians often test this way. Christians often test by how it sounds, the words used, the inflection of the voice, the stories that are told. If it moves them, if it makes them cry, if it makes them feel good, may I just tell you, none of those are appropriate tests. The word try in verse number one means this, to approve or examine. The term was used of gold put in the fire to test its purity. And there are two categories of spirits operating in the world. And so when someone proposes to speak for God as God's mouthpiece, you should test the spirits. You you might amen the wrong spirit. I've been to some churches where they amen almost anything. Folks, you're going to die and go to hell. Amen. What? Did you just hear what you just said? We, we, we should listen carefully. Behind every prophet or oracle or preacher, there is a spirit. The great question to be asked is, does the spirit of God or an evil spirit reside in that teacher or preacher? So we must test the spirits. Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And Jesus even warned in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he said this, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Paul warned the church of Ephesus and he was writing to the elders and he said this, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Peter, he even offered a warning. And Second Peter says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there were shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Do you know why we are so concerned about one billion Catholics in this world? Is because they believe in a false God. They believe in their works to get them to heaven. And when a priest in the Catholic Church gets up and talks about all of the all of the all of the works that must be done by a Catholic person in order to gain entrance into heaven after they go to a short term in purgatory. May I just tell you that's a damnable heresy that's sending one billion people to a place called hell. Are we better than them? No. It should break our heart because we have the truth and yet we do not speak the truth. Today there's still a great need for biblical discernment and discrimination. 
And too many believers remain biblically illiterate and spiritually gullible. And they naively accept any teaching as truth. And that's why it's so important that late at night when you can't sleep, that you're not turning on some local spiritual uh, channel and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're listening to these false prophets. They're saying, that, listen, I'll give you, I'll send this little vial of holy water to you if you send us $100. That's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. And that tap water that, uh, that they're going to send to you is nothing more than water just like that comes out of the faucet here in Tucson. There's nothing holy about that water. But there's a lot of people who are naively and are so gullible and they send their money to these wolves who are in sheep's clothing. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says there's a sure sign of spiritual immaturity and it's being, and it's like this, it's being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. And we answered our first question and that is why we're to test the spirits. And the second question has been answered as to how or what does it mean to test the spirits. But our third question is a, maybe a little bit more complex. You say, Pastor Armstrong, is it dangerous? To test the spirits? Is it dangerous? Is this something I re- that I can do? I've never been to Bible college. May I just use a practical illustration? Every good parent teaches his children to discriminate or to discern. We teach them never to take candy from a stranger. Or we teach them to accept, uh, never to accept a ride from a stranger. Why is that? We know that there are evil people in the world who are going to take advantage of the naivety of our children. And too many of God's children have never learned to, dis- to discern. They do not discriminate. They're led astray by spiritual candy with a pseudo-spiritual wrapper that's nothing more than a sugar-coated air and spiritual candy tastes good it makes people feel good for the moment but it leaves them with nothing but empty calories and I say that we must be a discerning church and there's no spiritual nutrition because there's no truth if it's just candy wrapped in doctrinal air may I just say if you follow the wrong spirit you will pay the price and that price could be your family. It could be your children or your grandchildren. The famous circus entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, he said this, there's a sucker born every moment. May I say, when I hear that, I think of Satan. Satan has many slick sideshows that sidetrack God's children and rob them of their spiritual riches. There are many false teachers in the world today and the spiritual candy store is full and Satan has all flavors of teachers and preachers ready to fill your spiritual appetite with some type of sugar-coated experience that's going to ultimately leave you with nothing more than a bellyache. I tell you, it's not dangerous to test the spirit. Make sure that that preacher and that teacher lines up with the Word of God. Remember when Moses was with Pharaoh? Moses, I... I'm so glad I was not there and was not a part of this. Moses had a rod. And to show the power of God, uh, uh, Moses, he threw that rod on the ground in front of Pharaoh and it turned into a what? Turned into a big, long snake. And and the Bible says, I can see Moses, he goes and he picks up the tail of that snake and it immediately turns back into a rod, showing the power of God. 
Well, guess what? Guess what the magicians said? We can do that too. And so they had their little sideshow, and, and they threw down their rods and, and, uh, and, and trying not to be outdone. And so may I just tell you, the devil knows how to put, a, put on a good sideshow. He knows how to entice. He knows how to lure us away from the truth. Many of you are students of history. The reformers, they insisted that even the humblest of believers have the right of private judgment. May I remind you, we just read it. John is writing to the beloved, all Christians. You don't have to have a seminary degree to test the spirits. You don't have to attend a, 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 some type of spirit testing seminar. Why is that? There's one specific reason that every one of us who named Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior that we can test the spirits. The Holy Spirit of God lives within us. The Holy Spirit. No one has more than someone else. Every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord, Savior, we have the same amount of the Holy Spirit. You know what we have? All of it. And I just want to encourage you to allow that Holy Spirit of God to have freedom to work and to encourage and to convict you in your life. Well, time's slipping away. Let me get quickly to my second thought. Accept the area of acceptable discrimination number two, and it is this. The criteria to test the spirits. The criteria to test the spirits. Once again, I would like to ask three questions in order to determine the biblical criteria necessary to test the spirits. They are personal questions that you would ask. Here's question number one. What or how do you view the Son of God? How do you view the Son of God? The first test is the acknowledgement of the historical incarnation of Jesus, and that is Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Didn't we hear about that through song this morning? Over and over again, we heard the songs about Jesus Christ coming. And oftentimes at Christmas, many of our Christmas songs are, are just that, how the Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Believers are to test for truth based on a teacher's attitude concerning the person and the work of, of Christ. I want to say this morning with all authority from the Word of God, if this pastor that stands in front of you ever denies Jesus Christ, you run him out before the next Sunday. You fire me on this spot if I ever, ever, publicly or privately, deny who Jesus Christ is. The first question is always, what do you believe about Jesus? Because if you are wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about God. In John's day, there was a teacher known as Serenthus who taught that Jesus became the Messiah at his baptism. So some 2,000 years ago, there was a false teacher who taught that Jesus did not become the Messiah until he was baptized by John the Baptist. And the Spirit came upon him uh, at his death on the cross. And the Spirit left him, and he died, and he remained dead, and he denied the resurrection. Serenthus taught his disciples that Jesus did not come as God, but became the Son of God for a season. That was a terrible false teaching. But do you know that history shows us that many followed him? Because it was too hard to believe that Jesus rose again from the dead three days later. And so Serenthus made worldly sense, but not spiritual sense. Jesus did not become the Son of God. He's always existed as the Son of God. 
He was incarnated. He came in the flesh to be our Savior. Jesus was fully God and fully man. The baby in the manger humanly did not know anything, but divinely he knew everything. The baby in the manger could humanly only be at one place at one time, but divinely he was omnipresent, equally present everywhere. May I tell you the baby in the manger was humanly weak and hopelessly dependent, but divinely the Bible says he was all-powerful. The baby in the manger humanly was unable to speak, but divinely he has spoken the worlds into existence. Many religions seek to honor Jesus as a great man, as a great teacher, but they do not recognize him for who he, for who he is and for who he was. And some of them knock on your door with attractive uh, publications and reverent religious words, but they do not believe that Jesus is the express image of his person. And they will say he is God's son, but just for a time, not for eternity. They will agree that he's a great prophet, but they want to put him on the level of Muhammad or Confucius. A teacher must not only acknowledge the incarnation as a historical fact, but they also, the Bible says, must confess him. They must commit their lives to him. May I just remind you, the Bible teaches us that Satan and his demons acknowledge the historical, com, uh, uh, the historical incarnation, but they do not confess him as Lord. Evil spirits readily recognize Jesus during his earthly ministry. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, we read the words of one spirit that encountered uh, Jesus. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou here to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Wow. That's an evil spirit. In Mark chapter 5, we read a, another uh, encounter. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. In James chapter 2, uh, James wrote, uh, The devils also believe and tremble. May I just say, Christian scientists, they claim that Jesus was a man who received the spirit of the Christ. Mormons say Jesus was a man who became a God to show us how we could become gods. Liberal theologians, they deny the virgin birth of Jesus, and therefore they deny his incarnation and his deity. And all of these people fail to confess him as God. There are many people in church Every single Sunday, who believe that Jesus is the incarnate Christ, but they will leave church never confessing him as Lord and Savior. They say, how sad. The one who is led by the Holy Spirit will always confess Jesus. Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit would testify of him and ultimately glorify him. The, he even said in John 16, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church of Corinth, No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. John says in verse number 3 of our passage of Scripture, to proclaim anything else about Jesus smacks of that spirit of Antichrist. John has already mentioned the Antichrist in chapter 2. And we know that I believe soon the Antichrist 
will be here uh, 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 after we are raptured and he will be revealed. I personally believe the Antichrist is living today. Do you know why? Because we must believe that he, if, he's, if he could come back at any moment, then we better believe the Antichrist is alive today. To, to do other means that we do not believe he, the rapture could take place today. I believe the Antichrist is alive today. He doesn't know he's the Antichrist at this moment. But the Antichrist, I believe, is alive today and that at any moment we will be taken out of this world and we will be relieved of the burdensome sin that is infiltrated and taken over this world. But John here, he also talks about Antichrist with a small letter A. That spirit of Antichrist is even now already in the world. And I just say, be careful who you listen to that you do not take a false medication. Question number two. What is your relationship with Jesus? What is your relationship to the Spirit of God? In saying that believers have overcome them, John is telling us that false teachers have not succeeded in deceiving us. And false teachers are intimidating. They ask, how can you believe that? Raise the issue of creation in your biology classroom and watch a false teacher go into a frenzy. Now, I want to say something. Truth is absolute. Truth is immutable. Truth never changes. I understand that if I play a B flat on the piano, you'll hear a B flat. A B flat uh, uh, was a B flat a thousand years ago, and it'll be a B flat in the next millennium. A B flat is always a B flat. I learned about this this week. A B-flat is always a B-flat. May I say with all authority, based on the word of God, truth is absolute. Jesus is absolute. And truth is absolute 2,000 years ago. Truth is absolute today. And truth will still be absolute 2,000 years from now. But I'm so thankful. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth is absolute. Jesus is absolute. But what is your relationship with the Son of God? Personally, can you answer that? Oh, pastor, I come to church every Sunday. Everything's good. No, that's not what I ask. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Why have we overcome them? Not because we're smart or sharp or extremely intelligent, but we've been, we can overcome false teachers. We can overcome false teaching. We can overcome the evil of this world because the Spirit lives within us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Satan is great. He is powerful, but he is not more powerful than the Holy Spirit of God. We all have insulation in our houses. Right now, your insulation is so confused. Because in the morning, it's trying to keep heat in, and the afternoon, it's trying to get the heat out of your house. But insulation is there to keep us warm in the morning time, and insulation is there in the afternoon to keep us cool in the afternoon. May I just tell you, if I could illustrate it this way, the Holy Spirit is the God-given insulation in the believer's life who helps keep out the air. I'm thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard a sermon or listened to a religious discussion and thought, something doesn't sound right? 
That's the way of the Holy Spirit, filtering out error and leading you into truth. So what is your relationship with Jesus Christ like this morning? Third question, are you in harmony with the Word of God? Are you in harmony with the Word of God? Today we bring our Bibles to church. I see Bibles everywhere. You use your iPhone or your iPad for your Bible. Um, do you know what I do know is that the evilness of this world can never eradicate the Word of God from our society. It's impossible. They've tried. They cannot do it. Are you in harmony with the Word of God? I want you to notice in our study of the first six verses, three pronouns in verse 4 through 6. In verse number 4, John speaks of you. Or that's Christians. In verse 5, he speaks of they. That is the false teachers. In verse number 6, he speaks of we, which is God-ordained apostles. Now, in verse number 5, we see that they are heard by the world. The world recognizes its own people. The world listens to their, uh, their own to false teachers. And one of the easiest ways to recognize a false teacher is by whether the world is comfortable with them. May I just tell you, there's some places down in the Houston, Texas area where there's tens of thousands of people who are very comfortable with their false teacher. And the world has no problem with them. When you are on the job and you speak about the truth of Jesus, somebody would invariably say, I don't want to hear that. That makes me uncomfortable. Why is that? Because truth always divides. People want to feel good about themselves, and truth always makes people take a hard look at themselves. And when I prepare a sermon, I don't ever ask, will you enjoy this message? My goal is not your entertainment. My goal is your edification. Um, truth will always help you. Truth will always reveal something about you. And in order to survive under the water, you need special equipment. I have a, a son who enjoyed scuba diving and uh, he went scuba, uh, uh, went scuba diving on his honeymoon. And scuba gear enables a diver to live and to function in what's called a hostile environment where all the pressure and there's a lack of oxygen and you're able to breathe. But in the same way, the Spirit of God and the Word of God enables us to function in a hostile environment called the world where it has sucked the oxygen of Jesus out and doesn't want to hear about Jesus. I'm thankful for Jesus this morning, whether I'm here at church or I'm at the mall. I'm thankful for Jesus whether I'm here at church or in my home. I'm thankful for Jesus whether I'm here at church or on an airplane. I love him. John says, he that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. And this may sound somewhat arrogant. In fact, John is writing this. You can tell our message is God's message because God's people receive it. And I could never say that. It would be prideful and presumptuous for me to say, whoever knows God agrees with me, and only those who don't know God disagrees with me. I've known a few preachers, though, who've come across with that level of arrogance. But here's what I do know, that if I carefully prepare a message and under the guidance and spirit of God, that our spirit will bear witness because of one thing, this book. And that's why the word of God is so essential 
uh, in our lives. John's an apostle, and I'm a pastor. John personally walked with Jesus. And by inspiration, he wrote the words of Scripture. And to agree with the apostles is to agree with Scripture. Ephesians 2 and verse 20 says this, that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Um, do you, you have your Bibles open? Turn just a, across the page to 2 John. You're in 1 John chapter 4. Just turn across the page there to 2 John. Notice verse 10 and 11. Again, John's writing. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, in other words, what he's talking about back in 1 John, receive him not into your what? Hmm. Neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Some of us, we probably ought to read that verse when we think about inviting some into our house that are definitely contrary to the things of the Word of God. Churches, they met in houses when this was written. They did not have church buildings. And John was saying, don't allow them into your church house. In this church, I say we must always discriminate doctrinally. Well, the questions have been asked. How do you view the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I sure hope that you could say amen to that this morning. What is your relationship with the Son of God? Has there ever been a time that you've seen yourself in need of a Savior because of your sin? You were so desperate in your sin. You knew that if I were to die in my sin, I would go to a place and be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. And therefore, I began a relationship. Do you have a relationship this Christmas season with Jesus Christ? And thirdly, are you in harmony with the Word of God. Does your life line up with the Word of God? Someone might say, truth, truth, truth. Pastor, you always major on truth. But what about emotions? What about feeling? I want to feel the presence of God. I say amen. Do you know that we can have truth and we can have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God that will comfort and guide and convict? I want to feel him too. He gave me emotions, and I want both spirit and truth. However, I want to be certain what I'm feeling. And my feelings must always, always, always line up with the Word of God. And I don't want to get off into subjective feelings until I am dead on, straight on objective truth. We can navigate a course by the use of a compass and and i'm thankful for the invention of the compass and the compass has saved a lot of lives it's saved a lot of uh, ships from being shipwrecked and the compass points to the north because of the magnetic field christians can navigate life by responding to the true north which is the word of god and the spirit of god living within us and i say this morning let us test try the spirit and the teaching of anyone who claims to speak for God. I'm finished with my notes, so please feel free to close your Bibles and get ready. We're going to end in just a moment. I was on a flight from Washington, D.C., and I was flying out of Dulles uh, there in Washington, D.C. to Phoenix, and I had a direct flight, and and I was... Uh, I, 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 had several hours there. It's a, link, it's a long flight, so there's a lot of time. Uh, today, it's very hard to talk to someone 
uh, on an airplane for two reasons. One, you have to wear a mask so you can't hardly understand them. And two, people, everyone has earphones in, and, um, and, and with their earphones, uh, they, they, they're, they're shutting you out saying, I don't want to talk to you. It's so hard to talk to someone. On this particular flight, uh, the person seated uh, beside me, um, uh, he uh, didn't have earphones in, and this was before masks. And so he got out his Bible. And I thought, this is so cool. I'm sitting behind, beside a Christian. We're going to be able to talk during the course of, the, uh, of our flight. And, so, and then he opened it up. And it was highlighted all over the place. This guy read his Bible. That's impressive. And I, I tried to see on the binding when he closed it when they came by uh, to see what he was reading. And, and I, I wasn't able to see it because it didn't say. And, and so finally we all got situated. We're getting ready to take off. Uh, and I said, hi, my name's Brent. What's your name? His name was John. Hey, John, how you doing? Um, uh, do you live in Phoenix? So you, we get all those questions out of the way that everyone's going to ask. And so I said, I see you have a Bible. What are you reading? And uh, I don't even recall where he was reading, but, uh, but anyway, he had it open there and, again, highlighted, I mean, it was underlined. I mean, this guy read his Bible. And he said, hey, have you ever heard about Joseph Smith? In a millisecond, my heart spirit sank. Because now it went from fellowship to work. You understand what I just said? It went from the, hey, the Spirit's going to bear witness. We're going to be able to fellowship over the Word of God. We're going to be able to talk about everything to, oh, man. I said, well, frankly speaking, I have. And I just want to tell you, I love Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for what he's done for me. He, sat, he looked at me. He's like, and we started talking. Do you know what, the, what, what separated us was the truth of the Word of God? This man had been led to believe a series of lies. And then here's what happened. I looked at his Bible, and it wasn't a Bible at all. You know what he was underlining? The Book of Mormon. And here, what I thought was a Bible wasn't the Bible at all. And if he would have been reading the Bible, he would know the same Jesus that all of us know. And he would know that Jesus didn't become a God. He is God. And he would know that the God that we serve had a son whose name was Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ is the only one who could give his life for us. I'm here to say that this book divides truth from error. Error from truth. And we've got to get into it. We've got to know it. We cannot be naive, spiritually immature Christians that, just, that we just stuff our lives with spiritual candy and then the bad health that comes with it. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with him? John says we're to test the spirits. And then he wrote, if that spirit doesn't bear witness, dust yourself off and move on. Because you know what John was trying to protect us from? 
getting out of church, leaving the faith because we follow a false prophet or an antichrist. Church, let's be strong. Let's be motivated. Let's not allow a false prophet to enter, enter into us and, uh, that looks like a slick sheep and looks perfect. Let's make sure that we always follow the truth of the Word of God. Can we do that? That's what we should do. 